This morning we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Going to be reading verses 10 to 28. Primary focus this morning is going to be on verses 11 through 13. The title of this morning's sermon is Learning the Secret of Being Content. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, and now at length have revived your concern for me, for you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In every, in any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have, revi- I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragment offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let us pray before we start this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Open up our hearts, Lord, to receive your message to glorify you. In your son's name we ask this. Amen. So going back to the book of Exodus, we're familiar with who Moses is. It's interesting when you take a look at Moses' life because it's broken down into three quadrants. He lived for 120 years. Three quadrants of 40. The first 40 years of Moses' life is where he learned all of his wisdom. He was with the Egyptians. He became mighty in words and deed. So he's a young man, a strong man, an ambitious person to the point where he kills the Egyptian. Moses was hurry. He was in a hurry. He was ambitious when he was young. He wasn't content with just sitting and waiting on the Lord. It wasn't time for the Lord to use Moses to deliver the Israelites out of the Egyptians' hands. So what did he do? He took matters into his own hands. And he got caught red-handed and he was forced to flee. So that's the first 40 years of Moses' life. What did the Lord do next? For the next 40 years of Moses' life, the Lord brought him to the backside of the desert. This is where Moses, over the next 40 years of his life, learned patience. This is where Moses, over the next 40 years of his life, learned to be simply content right where God has placed him. All that ambition, all of that anxiety drained out. And the Lord put him right where he wanted him in the backside of the desert 
to teach him how to be content. He was put on hold. Time out period. It wasn't as if the Lord wasn't working. A lot of times we enter into these periods in our life and we think God's not doing anything with me. Well, he is. He's transforming you on the inside so you can be a useful, to him, a useful tool to him on the outside. Moses wanted to do more than what God had prescribed for him in his youth. He wasn't content where he was. He took the matters into his own hands. But now, after the 40 years on the backside of the desert where he learned contentness, the final 40 years of Moses' life is leading the children of Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness, and you can see his patience. You can see his humility. You can see his meekness. And the positive thing of all of this is we're not any different than Moses, and Moses isn't any different than us. We're all human. We all struggle here. Moses struggled with this. We struggled with this. But what we're going to see this morning is this process of being content is a learned process over time. So putting this all together, the context, Philippians 4, 1 through 9, verse 6, Paul tells us not to be worried, not to be anxious about anything. He explains to us that it is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, which enters into our heart to give us this peace, to rid us of our anxiety. But in order to receive that peace, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to be in constant prayer. We need to be giving all of our petitions over to him. And as we do this, we have to do it out of a thankful, content heart. And when our heart becomes thankful, full of gratitude, and content where the Lord has placed us, there's a barricade that surrounds our heart. The Holy Spirit protects us. We're able to go through this life, enter into this world system with a heart that is in peace with the Lord, that is in content in everything that we do. We receive this through prayer. We receive this through the blessings of the Holy Spirit. And it's this state of being, content, that Paul hammers home here in verses 11 through 13. Verse 11, Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Not only did Moses have to learn this, Paul had to learn this. If these two individuals have to learn this, so do you and I. The state of being content is the greatest state of inner well-being a person can ever attain. And I'm going to say this a couple more times throughout the sermon this morning. The state of being content is the greatest state of inner well-being a person can ever attain. That no matter what situation you find yourself in, your heart remains unmoved. Your heart remains consistent and at peace. Your attitude is steady. The external does not influence the internal. Contentment is something our culture today is in desperate need. With all the material wealth and possessions we have at our fingertips, and yet we still think we lack so many things. 
It's almost as if the more materialistic we become, the more materialistic we become. It just doesn't seem to quench that desire. Not only is contentment needed in our culture today, it's also desperately needed in our Christian community. The church lacks contentment. You have to ask yourself why. We have Christ. We have his word. We have the Holy Spirit. Why does the church lack contentment? Because we really don't change all that much. Yes, the Lord saves us. Yes, the Lord redeems us. He puts his spirit within us. But we really, our sanctification, our growth is hindered because of a discontent heart. It's kind of like if you're watering the grass when we go through long periods of no rain and there's a kink in that hose and the water's not coming out. You have to go find where that knot is. Well, our hearts are tied in up on all of these knots and the spirit is quenched. He's not flowing through. We remain in our sin. It's done so by choice. We place our hope, we place our trust in the things of this world to find meaning and purpose. When we already have within us as believers the true hope and purpose of the Holy Spirit, we still go after more. We find our final resting place in something of this world. The same world system that the Lord has redeemed us from is the same world system that we go back to to try to find fulfillment. When difficult times come and it's mixed with our ungrateful and bitter hearts, it's like dumping gas on a fire. When we are suffering, when we are experiencing pain, when things in life are not going as planned, and then that is combined with a heart that is not content in the Lord. You can see why so many Christians today aren't experiencing joy and peace. Because these two, two things do not work together. A discontent heart greatly intensifies our pain. It's like pouring rubbing alcohol on an opened wound. They just don't mix. It causes us a lot of turmoil and anger because our hearts are not right before God. So then the question is, what is this then? What is Christian contentment? It's being able to delight, being able to rest, being able to trust in the Lord no matter what circumstances come your way. It is denying ourselves and humbly accepting whatever the Lord brings into our lives. It is to live out, to demonstrate the reality of the Holy Spirit within our heart to the point where we are so overflowing with joy that we can go through difficult times in life and still praise the Lord. Just like our call to worship this morning with Job. Naked I came, naked I go, blessed the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that our attitude? Contentment is not becoming angry with God because what we think we lack, he is not supplying us with. Here comes the problem. Living a life that is glorifying God, living a life through the resurrected power of Christ, living a life willing to enter into the sufferings of Christ. Because we know if our heart is right before the Lord and we are content, there isn't a trial or circumstance that we can't go into without the joy and the peace of the Lord. But being content does not mean you're not to set goals. 
and try to achieve them. We have to make sure we're discerning this carefully. It doesn't mean we don't plan. It doesn't mean we have expectations. It's perfectly fine, but just as long as the goals and the expectations that we set for ourselves, we do so with an open hand. We're not clenched on them. They don't become our idol. They don't become our meeting. They don't become our purpose. They don't become our identity. If the Lord blesses us with what our plans are, and if it is the will of God to bring that about, excellent. If we pray and we pray and we pray and it doesn't come about, excellent. I'm content right where the Lord has me. So these things that we seek after, they're not bad things. We just have to make sure our heart is right before the Lord. Are we just as satisfied in life if the Lord grants them or if he withholds them? That's the test. Are we just as satisfied in Christ? Are we at the same level of peace if God blesses us with these or if he doesn't? Paul says content, the state of being content is something that he learned. This is not intuitive. I think in our Christian cultures today, we associate the Holy Spirit with intuition. What do I mean? Mystical, unguided reason. We think that if we do such and such, somehow, mystically, the Holy Spirit just picks, takes a hold and we don't know how he's doing it, but it's kind of like we're a puppet and he's just carrying us along. That eventually we're just going to enter into this state of being content without any reason behind it, without any study behind it, without any trial and error or thinking things through. It's just going to be zapped to us. But that's not the case. Yes, the Holy Spirit pours out his love in our hearts. Yes, he gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. But that's done in conjunction with relationship with him through prayer, through confession, through reconciliation, and a heart that is content. We are constantly on our P's and Q's. Not in a sense of legalistic obligation, but relationship. See, we think that if the Holy Spirit just intuitively zaps us with a state of being content, there's no work that we have to do. We can just sit back and God will sanctify us as we do nothing. That's not how the sanctification process works. The more time we put in to scripture and prayer and fellowship, the more time we are in relationship with him, even when we're busy, we can be at peace in our hearts and glorifying him. The more time our focus is spent on Christ, the more content our hearts will become. This comes over time. This is a process that is learned. It must be intentionally sought after and every experience we enter is another lesson, so to speak, as to how we can improve and to achieve this state of commitment. Yes, Christians make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. We're still sinners. We make mistakes, but we have to learn from those mistakes. Because as we learn from them, we make less and less every day. An example, I fall into this a lot. I think many of you can relate. Developing a mindset of being discontent if we think about politics. How many times do we catch ourselves when we're talking about politics? Boy, if this happens, or if that happens, or if only the economy were better, or if only we had a different political leader, or if only we had this, or if only we do this a lot. And we become bitter 
Because our desires and what we want aren't what's happening right now. We're not content with what the Lord's given us. We want to change things and we can't. This is what God has given us at the moment. Now that doesn't mean we have to condone and say, okay, what the person's doing is great. No, we don't do that. But this is the administration that the Lord has brought upon this nation for his plans and his purposes. So we rest in the sovereignty of God knowing that we're still to do our moral part, our moral obligation in the political realm. But after that, it's God's sovereign will that comes in after that. And whatever the Lord brings in, so be it. So when we catch ourselves getting angry and starting to say things under our breath, or we go to bed worried thinking, what about, what if this, what if that, all these scenarios that go through our head, we have to make sure, are our hearts content in the Lord at that moment? Catch yourself as you do this. Be ready the next time that it comes around. Use the mistakes as building blocks in your sanctification. Realize, okay, my, I have a weakness here. Or when I talk about this, I tend to get like this. Start to become aware of that. So we always can maintain that state of content and joy and a thankful heart in the Lord. So Paul says we are to be content in whatever situation we find ourselves in. This is not our natural reaction. As you've gone through life, you've probably noticed this. If you've watched other people, you've probably seen this demonstrated. What do we do? We come up with excuses instead, reasons as to why we're not happy. I would be happy, but... And what we're saying is, well, the circumstances are dictating my inner disposition. I can't help it. That's an excuse. We use reasons to justify our anger and our frustration, to justify our lack of peace. But if you read the gospel accounts, Jesus was in perfect fellowship with the Father from day one to the end. And the agony and the suffering that he went through in remaining at peace and fellowship with his Father, there is the example for us to follow. Rather than saying, if I only wasn't facing this circumstance right now, I would have joy in my heart. Or if only this didn't happen to me back then, I can be happy today. I can be at peace today. But I can't because of this or because of that. Yes, it's okay to grieve. Yes, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to be concerned about the state of our country and what's happening. It's Fine, yes, we're called to do this, but always in conjunction with the experience of the peace of God in our hearts. As Christians, we always have the supernatural ability to be functioning in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Paul gives us some examples of this. Verse 12, interesting how he says, how he learned to be content when brought low and facing hunger. How he learned to be content when he was brought low and facing hunger. So the trials the Apostle Paul faced during his ministry, they're not unique. We're all equally involved in gospel ministry. Now, will we experience the intensity that Paul did? Most likely not. But we're all entering into that walk, that call, 
sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Paul tells us in Romans 5 that when we do this, when we enter into these times, when we're brought low, when we're facing hunger, he says we glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. Again, not the natural way human nature responds to difficulty. We glory in our sufferings. Just like Moses on the backside of the desert, just like Moses as he was leading the children of Israel out. When difficult times come, we remain meek and at peace and content. Paul goes on to explain in Romans 5, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Probably about 10 sermons right in that small package of verses. But what we're seeing here is we glory in the sufferings because of the sanctification that comes out of them. When we enter into these with peace and joy in our hearts. This is the hope that God supernaturally gives to all believers. It's not based upon our ability to conjure up It's not based upon our ability to keep and maintain. This is a supernatural peace. Yes, we have our responsibilities, but when we are in fellowship and when we are in tune with the Spirit, this is what He now does to our soul. It is a gift of God to us. The Holy Spirit indwelling us is the reason we're commanded not to be anxious and not to worry. The Holy Spirit with us is the reason that we can have hope during difficult times. It is the Holy Spirit who indwells us that gives us this ability to be content, to overcome our sin nature and our tendency to become bitter and to be worried and full of anxiety. It is the Holy Spirit who is doing this. Because we cannot be more secure in life than we are right now. Not material security. This is where our mind, if we start to dwell on the what-ifs about our material security, we go down a road of anxiety, we go down a road of stress and worry that there is no end to. We are more secure right now in Christ because we are trusting in the Lord's providence as he places us in each situation that we face every day. It's God's providential hand. 360 degrees all around you. He has your blind spots. He knows the past. He knows the future. There isn't anywhere where you stand in your life that God has not completely surrounded you. That's where we rest. That's where we hang our hat. That is where we find our security. That no matter what situation I'm going to go into, I have the Holy Spirit within me. I've learned in all of these things to be content. And as I go through it, that list that Paul gives us in Romans 5, Hope that does not disappoint. It does not let us down. It does not fail. That hope is the supernatural promise that the Holy Spirit gives us. And the Apostle Paul also said how he learned not to just be content when things are going south, so to speak, but also when there is plenty, when he is abounding. Paul also learned how to be content. Normally we think of contentness in the sense that, okay, I'm lacking something. 
But the opposite is true as well. Learning how to be content when you have abundance. We often think a person is discontent because there's something in their life that's missing. And if they just had it, they'd be happy. But this isn't the case. Those who have wealth also struggle with contentness. Why? Because having material possessions doesn't make you immune from a heart that lacks being content. It actually can make things worse. Why is that? Well, those who lack material wealth don't have the means to attain what they want. Those who don't, those who have an abundance, have all the means that they need to attain pretty much whatever they want. And just think, now that that restraint is gone in a person's heart, where if you don't have wealth, well, you can't attain what you want anyway, so it's kind of like a barrier. You can't destroy yourself with what you're desiring to obtain because you can't obtain it. But now just think, if you had an abundance of wealth and you have the ability to go out and attain almost anything you want, how hard it would be to remain content in what the Lord has given you. Because now there's nothing stopping you from getting what you want. When you have every opportunity in front of you and at the same time you have the means to attain it. This is where we have to be on guard. To be content when we have an abundance. To be able to step back from all of those things and say, Lord, teach me to be happy. Teach me to be at peace. Teach me to be at joy right here with what you've given me. Teach me to separate my heart and my passion and my desire and my longing for the things of this world and to be completely at rest within you, your kingdom and your providence. So Paul says in verse 12, in any and in every circumstance, again, the situation itself is not the determining factor of your joy. We are to be content in any and every circumstance. That means the external does not influence the internal in a sense where it robs us of our joy and peace. Yes, we can be sad. Yes, we can grieve. Yes, we can enter into somebody else's grief, pain, and suffering. But it doesn't rob us of that joy. We're not passive here. Pain is real. Suffering is real. All of this is true. But here's the problem. We can still willfully choose not to have this peace. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can set him aside and choose to embrace a heart that's discontent, to remain in our despair and to remain in our heart that lacks hope. But here's the solution. Just as much as you can will to disregard it, you can will to obtain it. Because the Holy Spirit has renewed our will, taking out that heart of stone, putting in that heart of flesh. Now we have the ability, being spiritually brought to life through the resurrected power of Christ, to choose, to set aside, to put off the flesh, and to put on the things of the Spirit. Being content in Christ does not mean that we just passively go through life and allow things to happen. Being fatalistic and being stoic, that's not what it is. Scripture tells us, it commands us, improve our situations. We're commanded to face injustices. We're commanded in all areas in life 
the Lordship of Christ, and that includes politics. We're commanded to bring the gospel out everywhere we go. What is important is our approach, our attitude, our state of mind as we're doing this. Do we become consumed in what we are doing? In the sense that the goal and the purpose and the ambition of our action is what's filling our hearts? Or are we just carrying out the cultural mandate that the gospel tells us to do, but on the inside, whatever the Lord brings about, we're remaining content, we're remaining grounded, and we're remaining humble. That's the difference. It's in our approach. It's in our attitude. It's in what we are allowing ourselves to be filled with. If we're making actions, let's just say politically, we vote and it doesn't come out the way we want. Are we distraught? Are we discouraged? Are we broken? Do we give up? Do we enter in a cycle of anxiety that we can't get out of? Or is it, Lord, I did the best to bring your will here on earth. The opposite has happened. You are providentially in control. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's our attitude. It's our approach. What are we allowing to rule our hearts? Do we do what we do out of fear? Do we do what we do out of despair, thinking if I don't go through and follow through with this, the sky's going to fall? So is that our motivation for getting involved? Or do we do these things with peace and joy in our hearts, knowing this, that no matter what, we will purpose to remain content and grounded within our hearts in spite of the results, in spite of what happens to me. We will choose to trust in God's overall plan for my life, no matter what my eyes are seeing and no matter what my ears are hearing and no matter what thoughts are coming into my mind, those thoughts I push out, these thoughts I fill myself with, not allowing our hearts to be filled with worry and fear because we're remaining content in every situation in life. It's interesting too here, Paul uses an interesting word. If you saw it, he uses the word secrecy. It's the only place in the New Testament where this Greek word is used. It's combined with, or normally used with, initiation into secret organizations. It's a technical term from the vocabulary of mystery religions. So it describes an initiation rite. A devotee wishes to enter into, into a secret organization. That's the same word that Paul uses here. The secret of being content in all things. See, the Apostle Paul, when he was converted on the road to Damascus, he didn't have this ability that he has now as he's writing this letter in Philippians. He wasn't given this from the start and he's just exercising this now all throughout his Christian ministry. This is something he lacked when he started and he developed over his sanctification over time, day by day, trial by trial, extreme suffering if you read through his letters. So why is this? Why do we find ourselves lacking what Paul has? Because we chase after everything imaginable under the sun but this. Because our pursuit is after anything but this, this becomes a secret because nobody is looking for this. Everybody's focus is everywhere else but being 
content in what God has given. Heard one time somebody said, if you want to hide something very well, hide it in plain sight. There's Bibles everywhere. You can go into Barnes & Noble. There's Bibles everywhere. You can go into a hotel room. Most likely there's a Gideon Bible in the drawer. All of those Bibles contain Philippians chapter 4. This verse is in every Bible all throughout the world, but yet it remains a secret because we're chasing after everything but this. It's kind of like you're at the starting line of a race. You don't go, but everybody else goes. You're the one that's just remaining behind. That's what ends up with this concept. It becomes a secret because we're not looking after this We're looking after the things of this world. And not every Christian has learned this secret. In fact, sadly, many don't. They never get to this level of sanctification. We can go through our entire lives being bitter, being frustrated, either about the past or about the future or something we never attained or something somebody did to us. Maybe they conned us, maybe they ripped us off. We hold that in our heart through our entire life. And we use that as a basis, as a justification, as a platform of carrying our anger forward into the future to justify why we behave the way we do. That's not a content heart. We spend the majority of our time arguing with God because we're not happy with what he's given us. We want more. We spend most of our time on earth complaining. Complaining, complaining. Boy, if we had a microphone that would just turn on when we start to complain. And after the year is over, go back and see how much time we spent complaining. To bring that awareness of how unthankful and discontent we can become at times. But no matter where you are in your spiritual growth, a heart that is content in God's providence is always attainable. If you have the Holy Spirit, it can start today. The learning process can begin today. It probably already has in bits and pieces, good seasons, bad seasons. But if we have the Holy Spirit, this promise is always with us that we can enter into this state of contentness before the Lord to learn to live life worry-free, free of anxiety. Most people think well, that's not possible. It is possible. Paul tells us not to be anxious about anything. Being content in Christ is the greatest state of inner well-being a person can ever attain. This does not mean, again, that we become stoic. This does not mean that we go through life numb and we don't feel anything. Rather, we're to attain this level of sanctification with joy of the Lord as the source of our strength. A point where we are drawing from nothing but the Holy Spirit who indwells us. That's our source. That's what we're drawing from. We're not drawing from the well of this world to fill our heart. We're drawing from the well of the Spirit to bring us into that mindset. We're content and we're calm on the inside. Just think of the nature of God. God is sufficient in and of himself. God does not need anything outside of himself. He's fully sufficient. This is where we need to rest. Not in our sufficiency, not in what this world can give us, not in what I can experience for myself, but I want to rest in the self-sufficiency of God as well. God is self-sufficient. He is in need of nothing. That's where I want to be. I want to be resting right there. 
nowhere else. The state of being content in Christ is the only way to attain genuine freedom in this life. Sin brings bondage. We're all sinners. Therefore, we're all in bondage. Those who have been born again, the power of sin has been broken, but the presence still remains. What do we do with that continuous presence of sin? We rest in Christ. We're content. We're trusting in him and his providence. We're in continual fellowship with him. What happens? He gives us the peace that surpasses all understanding. And now we're resting in the self-sufficiency of Christ alone. Nothing external. Nothing circumstantial. What the Lord blesses us with, great, we give him thanks. What the, war, what the Lord does not bless us with, great, we give him thanks for what we have. Because there's nothing in this world that's filling me. I'm resting completely in the self-sufficiency of Christ. This is true in every area of life. Think of marriage. If only my husband or if only my wife would do this or be like this, then I'd be happy in my marriage. Well, when you marry somebody, you're marrying a sinner and you're a sinner yourself. You're bringing your own sin in. There's never going to be that perfect marriage where two people are doing everything completely right. So how do you be content in your marriage? You thank God for whom the Lord has brought in your life. You're not looking at other people. You're not comparing. You're not contrasting. You're not wondering, hmm, if I was with this person. You're not doing any of that. You're thankful for whom the Lord has brought you in your life. Finances, the same thing. Boy, how much is enough for retirement? How much is enough for our investments? Is the market up? Is the market down? Does your day go well when your investments have improved? Does your day crash and tumble when your investments haven't? How a roller coaster of a ride can be if we're putting our heart into the things of this world. How about the house that you live in? If you just had a little bit nicer house, be good, right? Or if you just had a better location, then I'd be happy. See, we play these games with ourselves. If I just had a little bit more, there's that carrot on the end of the string. You can never get it. It's always just out of our reach. The list never ends. These things, even if you could attain them, aren't going to bring you contentness anyways. It's not going to bring you into a state of content because these are material, temporal things that only the Holy Spirit can satisfy if we're resting in the self-sufficiency of Christ. It is a spiritual problem that only God can answer. So it's a relational matter of the heart. It is an inner disposition only the Lord can give us. Now Paul says this in verse 13. Very famous verse. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What this verse is not saying, and I've seen this verse, athletes love this verse. I know others, I've seen athletes with this tattooed on their skin. I've seen it written on their, on their um, cleats or their jersey or somewhere else. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What this verse is not saying is that Christ empowers you to achieve whatever goal you set out to do. That's not what this verse is saying. What this verse is not saying is that you have the power of God at your fingertips now and that whatever you go do, you're going to be completely successful. That somehow God has enabled you with the supernatural ability. Now it's in your hands and everything you touch turns to gold. That's not what this verse is saying. That whatever I set my mind, I will accomplish and achieve. What this verse is saying and the promise that God is giving us through this is when Paul says, I can do all things, he means only the things which belong to your calling. Only the things he's called you to do. 
what God has purposed you to do for him, how God has commanded you to live your life. This is where that promise comes in. Not in what you want, in what God wants out of you and what he's called you into. He's referring to your call in ministry, not just pulpit ministry, not just missionary work. We're all ambassadors of Christ. We all represent and proclaim the gospel wherever we go. If you're a mother, if you're a father, if you're an employee or a business owner, if you have a friend, if you're a co-worker, an aunt, an uncle, grandparent, wife, pastor, missionary, whatever the hat that the Lord has given you to wear, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you in what God has called you to do for his glory. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Everything we do in ministries for the glory of God. Check your heart. If what you're doing is for your own glory, then you're not doing it for the kingdom. If half your heart is doing it for the kingdom, and the other half of your heart's doing it for your own glory. There's areas to work on. He strengthens you, and he supernaturally enables you to do the things that he has called you to do for his own glory. That's where this promise hangs. Not on the fact that you've got the power of God in your hands and you can go do and accomplish whatever. That's not what he's saying. The secret of learning to be content is that in Christ, this is the greatest state of inner well-being a person can ever attain. So listen here as we close to the wisdom of Solomon. I'm going to close with these verses. Ecclesiastes 5, 18-20. Solomon writes, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power, to enjoy them and to accept his lot and to rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, there's just so much to take in, so much to learn. Lord, give us that peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, help us to live a life that is content and honoring and glorifying to you. Lord, we ask this in your son's name. Amen.